Good morning. Have you found that this week, that uh, the Lord satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with, with good things? I trust that you have, and I trust that as we come together this morning, we'll be able to uh, be satisfied through this time of worship, through gathering and focusing on the Lord as we have been doing and learning from his word. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer and just ask him to work through our time together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful, a thankful people, uh, because you are God. And we pray that you would help us to behold you, to behold you in our everyday lives, to behold you in the circumstances that we face, to behold you as we sing your praises and as we look into your word. We know that this is beyond us, beyond our capability as human beings. But because of your presence, because of your power in our lives, your spirit and his moving, his working, we're able to see you, to understand you, to understand your truth. And I just pray that as we open up uh, your word this morning, that there would be this great impression of its importance, of its truth, of its meaning for each one of us. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And we just pray that that would continue as we study here together this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're back in in Genesis chapter 20. Five, finishing up the chapter and last week we were talking about the family and the children of Abraham and seeing just how close you could be and yet still far away uh, we remember Abraham had many children in the end uh, at least more than just Isaac there was Ishmael and his kin and they had the prestige of a family, a big family that became a nation. And then there were the six sons of Keturah, Abraham's second wife after Sarah had passed away. And it said they all received presents or gifts from him. And you think about that, and you think the truth of that in our natural state, what is it we want from God? That's all we want. We just want honor, we want riches. If we don't have a faith relationship with God, if we don't have an understanding, a true recognition of who he is and our desperate need for him for salvation, then we're just content with things. This is our basic natural human statement. Give me what I want. Stroke my ego a little bit and I'll go merrily on my way. Living my own life as though I was the one who's the author of it all. This is our default. This is the thing that we cling to. This is the hill that we're ready to die on. And unfortunately, even as believers in Jesus Christ, even as people have come to faith, this is the pit that we're in danger of slipping back into this oh just give me what I want and I'll be happy Juanita talked about that when she talked about going to God for worship 
looking for his face and not just his hand or a handout. That's our tendency, unfortunately. And uh, God says, I have so much for you. And we need to focus on him. We need to understand his truth. And his truth dwarfs all other human ideas, ideals, and opinions. And as I was writing and, and got to this point, I thought of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 27 it says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to nothing, things that are. And you know, we, we, we get focused on all of the things around us and the things that we think are important and the things that the world says are important and we hold those things up and say, this is, this is it, this is the focus. And God says, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's even the focus, the most important thing is something that cannot be seen, cannot be handled. It's a relationship with me. It's a faith relationship with me. It's salvation through my son. It's this thing called the gospel. And so our hearts are challenged. We understand that there's so much more than the things that grab onto us each day, but it's hard, it's hard to believe, it's hard to stay focused. So it's important we remember this. It's important we remember our challenge in staying focused on God. As we study through these stories, as we look at God's relationship with people, as we think of him as being a sovereign God and we go, well, why Isaac and why not Ishmael and what about the sons of Keturah? You know, why wasn't everybody just a part of the covenant family? God, you're sovereign. But then we remember who people are. And how we tend to run from God rather than to him. We're like a, I was thinking of a child in a, in a busy shopping mall. And they have this attentive parent that's holding on to their hands, right? And you know how the kids sometimes get their other hand up there and they're trying to pry their parents' hands off of their hands so they can break free? We've had that experience before, haven't we? From either end. And I think, yeah, this is the way we respond. Think of the line from that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. And if we, the chosen of God, if we who know his grace have this struggle can respond in this way, think of the satisfaction of people who do not know God as they run free in this crazy world. And they think, yeah, this is what it's all about. It's all about me doing whatever I want. You know, it's sort of interesting. As we come into this week's passage, this week's message, it's sort of a continuation of that. Look at people, those who have a relationship with God, those who do not. God, yes, being sovereign over it all, but also 
How do we react as people in these situations? How should we react? And you know, we can study those, those different, that different children of that one family. But you know, I, I just came to my mind this morning, a twin study. Scientists get really excited when they have twins and they can do studies on twins because they go, here are people who are so identical and yet we can see how different things in the environment react or how what they do changes who they end up becoming. And as we get into the final part of this chapter 25, we're not finished with Isaac yet, but we're introduced to Esau and Jacob. Here it is, a twin study. You only thought about, you know, well, all the children of Abraham being from one family and yet going in different directions. Here we have Esau and Jacob, born of the same mother at the same time. And wow, where they end up. Some of us know the rest of the story, know where they end up. And so this is kind of a, a, a continuation of our study and a look at what happens depending on choices that we make and focus that we, a focus that we take as we live our lives in this world. In the, the rest of chapter 25 here, we could break it down into three different sections, motherhood, childhood, and adulthood. That's simple enough, isn't it? The prophetic pain in Rebecca's pregnancy. The incompatible individualism as infants, these two boys. And then finally, the arrogant atrocities as adults. We sort of go right through the early years of these guys in a big hurry, and we learn a lot. And as usual, there are questions for us to ask ourselves. So here are the three questions. Can we recognize God's plan in the midst of pain? Painful conflict, painful struggles. Can we recognize God's plan? Because that was the challenge here. Can we realize God's perspective precedes personal preference? Another challenge for us. God's perspective rather than what I prefer. And can we realign ourselves to God's purposes and not our passions? Not our perverted passions. Because sometimes we love things other than God. We love things more than God. And so those are three questions that I'm going to stick in your mind as we go through this part of the story. And let's begin reading at verse 20 or 19 down through 23. And it says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. 
And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So as we begin this part of the story is, God does this throughout Genesis. He, he says, these are the generations. And he gives a recap, a little bit of genealogy, or sets us up for where we're at in the story. And it's a little bit grand when he says, these are the generations of Isaac. Because you think, Isaac just had twins. <laughs> you know, it sounds like, oh, here we go, a big line. And it's not. And it's not much better than his father because his father waited 25 years to have his one child. It says earlier, these are the generations of Abraham. But here we have Isaac and you realize he waited 20 years. If we go down to verse 26 a little later in the chapter, it says he was 60 years old when the kids were born. He had prayed for his barren wife that she would have a child. We don't go through in the story all the labor, all the, 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 the angst, all of the concern about a wife that's not having kids, but 20 years. We think about Abraham and Isaac, his son, and this nation that's supposed to be forming, and the two of them, they just seem to be underperforming. It's like watching two snails race here. How many years they're waiting to have a child or to have children. But you know, sometimes that's the way it is when we think about how God works in our lives. We can feel like, Lord, would you just hurry up and do something here? Let's move things forward. I'm ready, we think. But that's not our job. Our job is not the timing. That's God. God does the timing. We're the ones who are just supposed to stay on course. He's given us that job. That's what faith is all about. We leave the timing up to him. So she's barren for about 20 years, and then she becomes pregnant. And this pregnancy, this birth, was a key part of God's plan. Something that was very important. And you know what? We've seen that before a couple times, haven't we, in the Bible? We know that it happened with, in the case of Isaac. We know that Jacob's children, there was a barren, uh, his, his wife was barren, he's waiting for God to allow her to have a child. Same thing happened in Samuel, Samson, John the Baptist. And of course, there was a miraculous birth with Jesus himself. And so we, we start to get the idea that, you know, God knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? And sometimes we get upset when God withholds something from us, something that we would like, something that we want. But he knows how to get our attention. And honestly, if he didn't do that, would we be attentive? No, we just keep trucking forward going, hey, everything's working out fine for me. I got everything I want. So he gets our attention. And then he knows how to keep our attention, doesn't he? Because 
everything doesn't turn out the way we expect it to. And here, here Rebecca says, if it is thus, if I'm being blessed, God, what's going on in here? I mean, I've heard mothers talk about, you know, the feeling of pregnancy and they talk about how it starts and, you know, it feels like they're bubbles or butterflies. This woman had a UFC event going on inside her. There was something happening. There was a fight going on in there. And she's saying, okay, God, you're blessing me with kids, but what's going on here? See, he knows how to keep our attention. And then we understand he has something to bring to our attention. And he spells it all out in verse 23 where he says to her you have two nations in your room two peoples within you that shall be divided the one shall be stronger than the other the older shall serve the younger two words here division and blessing those are the main points of the message that God gave to her and they could be the titles of the next two sections that we are going to study. But before we go on to those next two, stu- two sections, I want us to get one thing. God usually teaches us through pain and suffering, through some kind of a struggle, difficulty. Because sometimes it's the only way he really gets our attention. We think of it once again, in Scripture, it's, it's, it's obvious. It's a theme. I didn't even do a Google, uh, Google search for this one. I just thought for one moment, and passages started coming to my mind. Romans 8.20, where it talks about God frustrating the sinful world in hope. God frustrates. Talked about, just before that section, a whole you know, just host of things about how sinful the world is. And it says, God frustrates the world in hope so they look to him so they look to him for salvation that they would come to him and in in second corinthians 12 we think of what paul as a believer talks about he says i have this thorn in the flesh i ask god get this thorn out of my flesh and god revealed that it was going to be for his glory that he would leave that thorn in my flesh we think wow Yet God does have a purpose for suffering. He does want to show himself through this and even not just that we learn about him but that we come to know him, Philippians 3.10 where it says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. As we go through challenge, struggle, difficulty, we come face to face with Christ. We're part of his church. And in Colossians 1.24, it talks about filling up the sufferings of Christ. We, his church, his body here in the world. You see, Christ isn't done suffering. Yes, the cross event is over, but there is more suffering to be done in his body, which is who we are. And so those were just a couple of quick references that came to my mind about God wanting suffering in the world, God using suffering in the world 
God using us, God bringing us into closer fellowship, God glorifying himself. We realize this is a common theme. It's a great theme. It's an incredible theme as far as God doing work in and through us in this world. Now, sometimes we go, I don't want to be a part of this theme. (laughs) You can count me out. But you probably have had experiences where you've gone through difficulties and and, and struggles and you look back and you go, wow, God used that to cause me to grow, to bring me closer to him, to show his face not only to me but to other people. This is the world that we live in. This is the world God created. And when we understand this, not just in a theological sense, but we accept it as we go through this. And I think we're always going to be learning and growing in this area because it's always a struggle for us. But this is how God works. It's how it's supposed to be. C.S. Lewis, probably one of the greatest writers, communicators about the Christian faith through the 20th century, said, pain insists upon being attended to. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our consciousness but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. And so the question is, will we listen to him? Will this world listen to him? But also will you and I, will we listen to him with ears of faith? That was what Rebecca was brought to here. And God spoke, said, this is what's going to happen. Let's carry on with the story. We continue reading in verse 24. It says, when her days to give birth were complete, behold, there were twins in her womb. No surprise. The first came out red, all his body, like a hairy cloak. That would have been interesting to see. Perhaps a bit shocking. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So we got these two boys, these twins. They were not identical twins, but they were twins. And if they had nicknames, they would be called Red and Cheater. Cute names. The first, a flushed complexion, a woolly newborn. And the other, not yet finished the in utero wrestling match. These two little boys, 
seemed cute enough, innocuous little tags, nicknames, but then again, everything that babies do seemed cute. And then they grow up. Both the children and their identities, their characteristics, their character, their personality. And we'll see in the very new future, near future, sorry, how their cute little tendencies, unchecked and all grown up, end up looking kind of ugly. And this is a side note for us as parents to teach children how to put their character in perspective into God's perspective. Because uh, sometimes we have this biased prejudice for our kids and we think, hey, they're my kids. I love whatever they do. Or worse yet, maybe, I favor this child over the other child because I like what they do. And the truth is, that at this point, there was something positive in both of these boys. We had one boy who was an outdoorsman. Hey, cool. Encourage him in that. We had the other boy who's administrator. He's around home, involved in things there. That's good too. But you know what? We all have our preferences. And we see how with favoritism things go down an interesting path. The father becoming the cheerleader of this outdoorsman and he ends up being a testosterone-charged, arrogant man. We have the mother coaching the guy who's the administrator who's around home working there and he becomes a manipulative sneak. Which one would you prefer? What, what characteristic are you more willing to accept? Well, you know what? That's not the question. That's not the question we should be asking. We should be asking, how does God see this? What is it that he wants? Obviously, he wants children that are committed to him. And because of their relationship with him, they handle their strengths, their abilities correctly. They don't just think, hey, this is what I do. I'm the greatest, and yeah, I'm fine. We don't want prejudice or preference to lead them in that direction. We want them to understand that everything they do is for his glory. It comes from him, and it should go back to him. So we try and give our children a perspective on their personality and their character strengths and, and all the rest. And I remember doing this in a class that I was teaching before where I said to the students, I said, write down on a piece of paper your strengths. Now, you can do this mentally right now, and don't worry about it because nobody's going to read this. This is for you only. So you can be completely honest 
And I'm not saying proud, but just say, yeah, this is something that I do well. This is a strength I have. People have always said, hey, you do this well. And you know, we write out that list of strengths. And what we end up with is a list of those things that could be our greatest weaknesses. If we depend on those things, those abilities, and not God. If we don't see them as gifts from him to be used for his glory. And that's the truth. Thank God for our abilities. But thank God for our weaknesses too. Our struggles, our failures. Because those things keep us dependent on him. Remind us that, hey, as great as our abilities are. (laughs) We still desperately need God. We need to have that perspective. We need, to, we need to teach that perspective to our children as well, those around us. So we can't just go with our gut, but we need the Lord's perspective. And we can only get that by having the Lord himself in our lives. He refines our character to be more like the person of Christ. But as we see things develop, as we see these boys grow here, that's not what happened because, well, let's look at the next section. Verse 29 says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to him, Let me eat some of that red stew. I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom which means red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What good is birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, the red stuff. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is it right there. This is the monster that we should fear. That will appear in unredeemed human character. From even positive characteristics. You see, it's not about who is better in this story, or maybe more correctly, who is not as bad. Maybe we would rather identify with the bold, brash Esau who's overconfident and very open about his rash decision. I think that's maybe who most people are drawn to. I mean, he's not sneaky, he's not hiding anything, he's just, he's hungry. He's been out there and and he needs food. Sort of like many of the people who we hold up in the world today. People who are overconfident and mostly just thinking about themselves. Or maybe we'd rather identify with Jacob's subtle craftiness. Especially because we know he's, he's going to win in the end. And everybody likes a winner. 
We always like to be on the winning side, cheering for the winning team, the winning person. But you know, they were both wicked and they both acted out of selfishly evil intentions in this situation. So once again, we have one of these stories where we're sort of going, okay, God, what's your point here? So many times in the Old Testament, God presents, this is what happens. And we think, well, why doesn't God just like sweep away the wicked part for the people that he's going to bless and, and you know, just show, well, these are the bad guys and this is all they did and, and, and this is my guy and he's the good one. You know, if this was a human story, it would end up like a lot of those human stories where, man, that person is a hero. They always do the best things. They always say the right things. They got the best lines. They're just heroic in every aspect. But this isn't a human story about heroes. This is God's book, his story about real history. And what we end up seeing is it points back to his glory. You know, when it comes to God choosing to bless somebody in that situation, could flip a coin. Both were wrong. This is a story that exalts God's mercy, his grace. And so we think, okay, God, what is it we're supposed to understand here? What is it we're supposed to see? What is the truth here that you want to stick in our hearts? Because, you know, there's not this ongoing commentary in a lot of the scriptures where it says, uh, this happened, and don't do that because that's wrong. And, well, watch out, this, is, this shouldn't have done that. But there is one statement made right here in this passage. It's not saying, oh, Esau's rude. Look how he literally shouts, give me the red one, the red stuff. Or it's not, notice how cunningly Jacob takes advantage of his brother's weakness. There's one statement at the very end. It says, Esau despised his birthright. As the firstborn, he was entitled to the birthright, the blessing, the promised title in a covenant with God would have passed down through his father to him. But right here and later on in the story we'll witness a consistent indifference. A consistent indifference to God on his part. He doesn't care. Doesn't care that he's a part of a covenant family. That he could receive the inheritance, the birthright. That he could be a part of the blessing. Say, well, God's sovereign. He is. 
He said this was going to happen beforehand. God has everything all mapped out. But you know what? We're supposed to be responsible for how we respond in the situation, how we act. We as human beings need to learn truth and apply that truth. And we see where Esau missed it right here. Talks about it later in Hebrews chapter 12. Talks about Esau. This indifference he had. It's identified as a temporal desire. A human hunger. For this temporary food. Displacing the action that would secure eternal gratification in a relationship with God. How short-sighted. And yet, we can identify with them, can't we? How often do we look at this life and the things in this life and go, oh, I, I want this. And we set our sights on the this in the here and now that probably in a matter of months, weeks, days, won't be very satisfying at all. And we step over a deepening of our relationship with the Lord. That which will satisfy us in the here and now and on into eternity. And we're challenged by that. Challenged by how we see ourselves in this story. We're reminded as we think back of Abraham's servant who was at the well, remember? I won't eat until I share what I've come to share. The spiritual responsibility he had came first before satisfying his human hunger. Jesus Christ modeled the same thing at the well too. You remember that. My food is not the food you're talking about. It's to do the will of my Father. Let's not give up what we really need for what we think we want. The things that we're coached day by day to desire by this world. We're kind of like those, those kids, those twins. But instead of having a parent who's poking us and prodding us along, and this is, yeah, yeah, you're, you're great. I love you more. We have a world that's saying, hey, we'll take care of you. This is what you need to do. This is what we're shooting for. And we create this society or this society has been created which is the world talked about in the scripture which has a completely temporary focus and is missing out in a rela- on a relationship with the God who created this temporary thing to help our focus go back to him To our God, 
to our Creator, to our Savior, to our Lord. Esau's handle was red. Imagine that. Being named after your complexion and it being reaffirmed by a plate of food that you chose over a relationship with God. Never changed. His people. His people were called Edom, which meant red. The Edomites. You can read about them later on in the Old Testament. But Jacob's name did change. He got a new name once again in a struggle and in pain as he wrestled with the Lord. Why? Because he's good? Because he was better? No. It's a testimony of God's grace. God is sovereign. God loves who he will. But oh, the responsibility we have to listen to his truth, to receive his truth. Not necessarily the things that are most evident to us, but the things we know to be true because of faith and the grace that has been granted us through Jesus Christ. We're going to be revisiting this idea a little bit later as we go to the Lord's table. Just think about it at this point now. Where's our longing? The things of this life? Or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Father, help us. Help us to learn from these stories. Help us to have a truth that is is just driven straight into our hearts. To understand by faith what is important. Help us not to give up what is important because of the insignificant things that we hanker for in this world. Help us to love you more and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.